you have your Bibles, would you turn uh, tonight to Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah 56, and then we'll read together, if we could, just stand in uh, verse 6 and verse 7. So once you get there, if you could stand for the reading of God's Word tonight, Isaiah 56 and verse 6 and verse 7, and we could read it audibly together tonight. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 56 and 6 and 7. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 56. Let's read from verse uh, 6 then. Praise the Lord. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord, to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. Father, tonight we pray in Jesus' name, as we come to your word, that you indeed would quicken it. Again, Lord, we ask for those ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we pray that the word of God tonight, Lord, would find good ground in this house and bring forth much fruit, Lord. Give us insight, Lord, in what is happening in our day amongst your people, Lord. Reveal to us your will and your purpose and your plan, O God. Increase our faith and stir our hearts. Lord, would you fill each and every one of us with your power, with the Holy Ghost tonight, O God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may take your seats. Amen. Just uh, the last Sunday night that we were here, we looked at the cleansing of the house. And I want to just pull back into that, if I could, just for a few moments. Uh, this morning, we're looking just at what is happening um, in our world and the unleashing un- of spiritual wickedness, darkness, and the demonic activity that is sweeping across our nations at this time, the turmoil, uh, the, the distress of the nations, the powers of heaven that is being shaken. And we also know that in that, and this is important for us tonight, that in the midst of all of that, that God has an end time remnant that are a people that are blood bought, blood washed, that will be filled with the Holy Ghost, that will shine for him, that will be that city that's set on a hill. They will be that light in this dark age. And so we know that there's a purpose in everything of what God is doing and what he's permitting as the restraint or the spirit of iniquity is being unleashed. And we also see that the wickedness and the lawlessness is coming. But in the midst of that, God has a purpose and God is working amongst his people There is all of these things that are happening, but there is the chastisement of God. There's the sifting and there's the refining of the Lord's work in the hearts of God's people amongst his church. And it's bringing a people together, making that bride ready for the coming of the Lord. What I'm saying all that for is because we don't, as much as many might differ in end time uh, theology, But we do not escape these events that are taking place. We're in the world. We're living our lives in this world. And God will see us to be with us to the very end. But these events are going to bring a sifting or a refining into the church of Jesus Christ. And I say that uh, because I want us to see something over these Sunday nights. I'll be looking at it, but just taking it slowly to go through it. God's dealing with his people 
whether it's in the Old Testament, but that dealing that works its way right through into the last days as God prepares his bride. Now, in our reading tonight, we know it's a prophecy concerning the Lord and his house of prayer. And twice in that earthly ministry, Jesus visited the house of God that was in Jerusalem, the temple, twice in his earthly ministry at the beginning of his ministry and also at the end of his ministry, he visited that house. And in that visitation, there was a cleansing of that house. And I want to pick up on that if we could in John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you turn over, this is the first instance when in the ministry of Christ, in the early part of his ministry, he came to Jerusalem And in that visitation to the temple, this was the first cleansing of the temple. John chapter 2, verse 13, it says these words, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written that the seal of thine house has eaten him up or eaten me up. And so we see this first visitation several hundred years after the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 56. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to his house, that Old Testament house, the temple that was made for the worship of God. He comes to this house and at that time for hundreds of years, we have seen, we see here that there was a practice, there was a form of activity that took place in that house that was displeasing to the Lord, that grieved him. And that's why he came to cleanse that house. So there was a cleansing of that house. Now, what we note is and what we understand in that three-year ministry of the Lord, immediately after he had cleansed the house, we see that everything must have just come back to the way it was. Even though he had come, even though he had cleansed the house, even though there was a chastisement of the Lord in bringing a a cleansing of that house, it seems as though obviously from our reading and his second visitation to the temple, that simply everything just went back to the way it was. And you see, religion doesn't like to change. It likes just to go through the motions of, of religion. It's, it feels comfortable with staying in a place of just, this is how we have done it for hundreds of years, and this is how we'll continue to do it. In Matthew chapter 21, we see again the second visitation of the Lord uh, to the house of God. We see him coming. This is his house. He comes the second time. You find here, when he comes the second time, everything, everything has just been put back the way it was before. They were selling, they were making merchandise, they were doing all their religious activities, but they had missed the purpose of his coming or his visitation. Matthew chapter 21, the chapter actually opens with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We see the crowds are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And the whole city is moved. 
as Christ comes in on that donkey. Here we see that everything has gone back to what it was before. And so he comes again in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And we read from there, verse 12, Jesus went into the temple, cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written that my house shall be called the house of prayer. Here he is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 56. Again, we know all these hundreds of years later, Christ comes. This is his second time. If you just think about that for a moment, he had come. He had sent prophets for hundreds of years and they rejected the prophets. He came himself. The God of this temple in the flesh came to this house, his house, He cleansed it at the beginning of his ministry. Then everybody brought it all back just to the way it was before. The second time he comes, we see here in Matthew 21, it says then, and he said unto them, My house, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he cleanses that house. The Bible tells us that the blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. We see here, was Christ's purpose as the cleansing of that house was to release his glorious power in that house, that the broken and the maimed and those that are blind and halt would be healed in his house. But now he leaves again. I want to go through the pattern of this for a moment to show you the great mercy and the long-suffering of God. He leaves that, that temple, he returns to Bethany, and he lodges there, and then he comes back again The next morning, we know we're heading up now just to Good Friday. And this reading here is the last week before the cross. And here at the end, you look at chapter 21, 22, 23. If you have time to read it, we see Christ engaging with that religious system. These parables that he begins to speak, they're confronting him. They did not want to change They wanted to remain in that religious mold. They wanted to stay in their tradition. They wanted to stay with all the activity that man had done. They didn't want the temple to be cleansed and the power of God and the the lame and the broken healed and Christ to be the center of that house. They had so much invested in it of their own activity. And now he comes and he engages with them. In Matthew 23, when we're coming to the end of this time, it's so important if you can understand it and see it. But Matthew 23 and 37, what you get a glimpse into here is right into the very heart of God. You're actually, what it reveals to us is the very heart of the Father towards his people. In Matthew 23 and 37, Jesus says these words, O Jerusalem, these are probably some of the most sobering words that you'll read in Scripture. He cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoned them which were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together? You're seeing the very heart of the Father. You're seeing the very desire of God towards his people. He had sent the prophets But now Christ has come himself. God came in the flesh and they've rejected him. He's cleansed that house. He's revealed to them the power of God in that house where the lame are healed, 
We see and we've read it tonight, the blind are able to see again, but yet that religious system still does not want to move. It doesn't want to change. And so they had come to reject the Lord. And he says, I have often gathered thee as have gathered thy children together, even as a hen we gather her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. You wouldn't come. And here you see the very heart of God, the very heart of the Father towards his people, the very heart of God to draw men because he loves us, because he's a plan for us, because he's a purpose for us. He doesn't want to harm us. He wants to draw us to himself, reveal his heart, his purpose, and his plan to us. And he wants to save us. He wants to gather us unto himself. But we wouldn't come. This is what he's saying. You wouldn't come. And then he says these words, verse 38. Behold, he's standing here at the temple. And he says these words, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He pronounces upon that house that this house is now over with. For I say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Here we see hundreds of years of God's mercy. Here we see, you see, friends, it's so important, the long-suffering of God. We sang that great hymn tonight, O love of God, the love of this great God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. But friends, there comes a time, there comes a moment, there comes an end when Christ, as he stood at this temple, he said, your house, this house, your house, is left unto you desolate. God had sent the prophets. It's profound when you read the prophecies and the prophets that prophesied unto Jerusalem. And then you read when Christ actually comes. If you turn back for a moment, I want to show you Jeremiah chapter 7. You turn right into Jeremiah chapter 7. And again, the prophecies that are being fulfilled and the revelation that comes through the word of God. But what you're seeing the whole time is the very heart of God to draw his people onto himself. But they would not. They kept rejecting his great hand of mercy. Jeremiah 7 and verse 1 says these words, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Just think about this for a moment. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord all ye of Judah that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. You think about it. You know, the psalmist says that we are entered the gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving in, the, in, in, in his heart and, and praise unto his name. And here we see here that the prophets now standing at the gates of the Lord and now he begins to make this proclamation. And he says, thus saith the Lord. Listen to what's happening. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What they were trusting in was their religious activity. Our nation is filled with religion. 
They're trusting in their denomination. They're trusting in their religious activity. They're trusting in their good deeds, both Catholic and Protestant. They're trusting in their church going. They're trusting in their good works. They're trusting in their morals. They're trusting in all that they are. For, for verse 5 says, For if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, what is that? If ye oppress not the stranger and the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to hurt you, then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I give to your fathers forever and ever. Hear what a promise that God has given them. If you amend your ways, if you turn from your own religious activity, but if you turn to me, then he says, I will cause you to dwell here. In verse 8, he says these words, Behold, this is what happened. They were trusting in lying words that cannot profit them. Verse 9, will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely? Will you burn incense on the beer? Will you walk after other gods? whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. You might think, well, that's years ago. I want to tell you, friends, in the modern church today, in the modern age in which we're living in, you know, people are claiming that they're delivered to live whatever way they want. They're delivered to act whatever way they want. They're delivered to... to to, to commit any type of sin that they want because they're free to do so. And friends, that is absolutely dreadful. That That is making a mockery of the grace of God. And then in verse 11 it says, And this is this house which is called by my name. Look at how the tie-in of Scripture and the and the prophecies has become a den of robbers. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. And the Lord missed nothing. The heart of God for hundreds of years, the cry of God, the prophets, the messages that he sent and the messengers that he sent to his people to draw them to himself. But they would not. They would not. The ministry of Christ, the cleansing of the temple, the second time that he cleansed it, then he pronounces over them, I wanted to gather you, but you wouldn't come. And now I leave your house desolate, And he pronounces, if you turn back over to Matthew 24, you see the progression here as we come up to the finality of it all. And you might be wondering where we're going or how is this relevant? This is so relevant to our day in which we're living. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, after all the visitations, after all the prophets, after Christ himself comes, Matthew 24, verse 1, Jesus went out, departed from the temple. His disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, listen to this, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He simply revealed to them the the finality of his word to what is going to happen. What did happen is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Not one stone was left on top of another. All of Jerusalem was completely plundered. When that Roman Empire went in, they pulled all the treasures out of that house and pulled that whole house down. 
Yet we see for hundreds of years he had sent prophets. Christ himself came. He pleaded with them to turn from their way, to amend their ways. And he would gather them and they would dwell in that place. But they kept rejecting him. They kept rejecting God's drawn great love for them. It's an amazing story. It's amazing what the history and the faith that we look at. But yet all of this is written for us, for our example. You might think then, well, once we come to this, the cleansing of the house, it seems a little bit, in some ways, disconnected from us. Would, would Christ still deal with his people? Would he still deal with his house in such a way? Would he still bring a chastisement? Would he bring the refiner's fire even to the church of the new covenant in his blood and under grace? Well, I want to show you that he actually does. And if you turn over into Revelation chapter 1, You'll read here some very profound dealings of God with the church. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Now this is in, under the new covenant. This is in the new covenant in his blood. This is under the dispensation of grace. And now we see here in Revelation chapter 1, John by the Spirit is going to receive a revelation from the Lord. Revelation 1 and 10, I was in the Spirit. On the Lord's day, I heard heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice to speak with me. And being turned, I saw seven, I want you to pick this up tonight, seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, this is Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, his eyes were as the flame of fire. His feet were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and the voice as the sound of many waters. Verse 16, I want you to remember the seven golden candlesticks and Christ in the midst of them. Verse 16 says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, I am the last, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write these things which thou hast seen. And listen, this is important. And the things which are, and the things which shall be, Hereafter, the mystery. Now, this is the wonderful thing about this part of the book of Revelation. There's an awful lot of chapters that when you're reading it, you may struggle to get the revelation of what is being said, symbolic, literal, and so forth, and tying other scriptures together. But in these opening chapters, there's a great clarity because here he brings the revelation of what we're looking at straight away. 
the mystery of the seven stars which are in the right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. Here's the mystery now revealed. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. So everyone that's, that's plain to see, it's very simple. We see the revelation of what the picture, what we're being revealed to here by John. The seven angels, of course, the word angel here is simply the word messenger. You know, when the Bible talks of John the Baptist, behold, I send my messenger before me. That simply can be either an angelic being or it can be a messenger, a messenger within, excuse me, each of those seven churches. Him that would bring forth the word of the Lord, the pastor of that church that would bring the heart of God and bring the message of God. So here we see that the seven angels are the seven messengers to each of the seven churches. Now this was not only literally seven churches in that age, but as we read here, these things which thou seen, verse 19, the things which are not presently, and then it says, and the things that shall be hereafter. This is prophetic in the sense that it will also bring a revelation to the church of each age. Some believe that, seven ages of the church. But also that in the last days, is what I believe, that there will be seven types of this church across the world at this present time. And so the prophetic aspect of this is important. There are seven messengers And then the seven candlesticks, what are they? They are the seven churches. This is is pretty important where we're coming to now. It's so important to listen because God's dealing with his church today. God's dealing with his church. He's dealing with his people. I want to tell you how he's dealing in mercy. He's dealing in grace. He's dealing in long-suffering. He's pleading. He came to that temple. He wept. He cried. He called them. He wanted to gather them as a hen would gather his chicks. We see the heart of the Father and that has not changed. His purpose is still to gather in his people that they would leave aside the things that would hinder or offend the holy God but that they would serve him and that he would dwell with them and they would know of his great love. But the seven candlesticks simply says are the seven churches. These seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Now the candlestick, you'll know, is a very important part of the furniture of the temple, of the tabernacle. Moses' tabernacle or the temple, Solomon's temple, It was critical. The only source of light in the temple or the tabernacle was through the candlestick. When you read about the seven churches, and the Lord will hopefully look at it uh, over the next couple of weeks, but do you know what's so important? That when the Lord came and when he walked in the midst of the church, someone prayed, Paula prayed tonight about walking the aisles. Do you know actually the Lord does walk the eyes of his church? Do you know that he's actually in the midst of his people? Do you know that he is actually here among us? 
Do you know that Jesus, every church that is called by his name, he actually visits the church by the power of his spirit and he knows the inner workings of every church in every life. And here we see that this candlestick is crucial because there was five out of the seven churches, five out of the seven churches that he said unless there was repentance that he would remove the candlestick. Now what that simply means is that he's not going to remove the whole church, but he would take out what constitutes a church. What actually is it that constitutes a church? What's, what, what is our right to be a church? Is it because we have a nice sign above our door that tells everyone we're New Testament Pentecostal church? That doesn't constitute a church. And what most people do is it that you go straight ahead and find out what our vision is or our statement of faith. Does that constitute our church or any church? It doesn't. What constitute our church? Is it good preaching? Well, thank God for that. Is it good music? Thank God for these blessings. Is it, is it the shape? Is it the form? Is it the church government? What is it that constitutes the church? Because there's so much diversity. What constitutes the church of it actually being a church is that there's a golden candlestick right here. You can't see that, but we know that it's here. What is the golden candlestick? It's the source of light and life to that church. Who is that source? It's a person. And that person is Jesus Christ because the gathering of the people are unto him. And that's what constitutes it, that his presence is among us. If you go back into the old for a second, Exodus 25 and verse 31, looking at the type, of course, of the old, we see here that Moses is instructed concerning the candlestick, how it was to be made, what it was to be made with, the work and how it should be put together, the shaft and so forth. But in Exodus 25 and 31, it says, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Do you know, gold speaks of the divinity of Christ, the divine presence of Jesus. And so we see here it was a pure gold, beaten work, which shall the candlestick be made as shaft, as bold, as branches, as bold, as knobs, and as flowers shall be of the same. We see here that this candlestick, do you know, when you read the history books uh, and concerning when, when that Roman Empire went into Jerusalem uh, and they went into that temple in AD 70, they destroyed, do you know the first thing that they pulled out of that temple? They took the treasures of the house. They took that candlestick. They took everything out of that house. It's never been found. Some people say it's buried somewhere under uh, the temple mount. I don't really know, but it's never been found because the Lord said this house will be left desolate. And that enemy took the treasures of that house. You know, friends, the sad thing of this hour is that the treasures of this spiritual house are being taken by the enemy. It is being stripped of the great and the wonderful blessings and truths that it has stood for, that it has been given by the power of the Spirit. The great revelation of what we have in Christ is being stripped out of the church by the powers of darkness. We see in Exodus, if you turn over to Exodus 30, this is important because 
It takes us somewhere when we see it. Exodus chapter 30, verse 7, that the priesthood, and we know we are the priesthood of believers, but the priesthood, Exodus 30 and 7, that Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense. How often? Every morning. Every day there would be a tendon to that candlestick. This wasn't just something that was thrown in there and hopefully it will look after itself, but there was a tendon to this candlestick. When he dresses the lamps, he was to burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he'll burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. What constituted the church was that there was a candlestick. What gave it its right to be a church was the candlestick. And in the old, the candlestick being the only source of light, the candlestick had to be kept and maintained. What does that remind us of? And this is important because it brings us to where we'll come to close off tonight. In Matthew chapter 25, if you just look at it, again, this is teaching, this is teaching concerning, it's a parable concerning the last days, the coming of the Lord. And the Lord is speaking, Matthew 24, now we're in the Matthew 25. And now he likens the kingdom of heaven to ten virgins. In Matthew 25, verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, who which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps. But what were they missing? They were missing oil. They had the ability to shine, but they didn't have the oil in their lamps. And it says then, but the wise, verse 4, took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered, they slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold the bridegroom coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose. What did they do? They trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil. Look what happened. For their lamps had gone out. Their lamps had gone out. In the last moments of time. Listen, there's wise and there's foolish. Jesus is bringing us some spiritual truths. We see here that those that had the ability to shine for him in those last moments of time, their lamps had now gone out, and now they're asking for oil of those that are wise. But verse 9 says, The wise answered and said, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went in unto him to the marriage and the door. Look what it says, And the door... And the door was, what was it? The door was shut. Right at the end of time, the door was shut. Friends, listen, this is sobering words, but it's important words. Afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, look, they're addressing him as someone whom they knew. Lord, Lord, would you open to us? And he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, 
Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. You know, that Old Testament, that priest would go in every morning and he would trim the wicks of that lamp and he would make preparation for that. That was the only source of light in that tabernacle. And every morning he had to make sure that he was diligently dealing with that lamp, that he would trim the wicks, that, that the wicks speak of cutting away the flesh that so easily would hinder that so would easily choke the life of God, cut away the things of the world, cut away the, the, the carnality, cut away all the stuff that would so we cut that back in order that that wick was ready and the oil was there that speaks of the Holy Ghost. And you light that lamp. And friends, oh, would we pray like they prayed and they sang in that old Welsh revival, give me oil in my lamp and keep me burning to the break of day. We need the oil, but we need to deal with the flesh of our lives. We need to cut that away in order that the wick would be ready to be lit up and that the church would shine the brighter as we're approaching the coming of the Lord. There's a dealing of God in his house. There's a dealing of his church at this time. Way back in the days of Samuel when he was just about to be called, the Bible tells us this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3 and verse 3. It simply says these words. And again, you see the types and the shadows of all of this throughout Scripture. But in 1 Samuel 3 and 3, it was a very dark time. There was great backsliddenness amongst the priesthood. And the Bible simply says this. And air, 1 Samuel 3 and 3, and air, the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Do you know what encourages me the most about this reading? The next verse. Because right at that moment, God always has a remnant, always has a people. It was at that time that the Lord called Samuel. Listen, friends, I believe that heart of God is calling. There's a Samuel call. It's calling a people in this darkness. The, look what it says. The lamp of the Lord air went out. What that speaks of is neglect. They were neglecting their duty. They were neglecting that they were to keep that place. They were to keep that lamp. They were to trim that wick. They were to have it ready. They'd have the oil in its place in order to, but they were neglecting the things that were important. But then in the midst of all of that neglect, God still comes and he begins to call. And he says, Samuel. And I want to tell you, friend, tonight God's speaking to hearts, calling Samuels, a Samuel people to come forth that don't want to live in neglect or be caught up in all of the world. But simply like Samuel, we say, here am I. That's all he requires of us. Here am I. That beaten gold, of course, represents the divine presence. This is Christ in the midst of source. Friends, we'll come to it in these seven churches over these weeks. But listen, God, Christ himself, was dealing with those seven churches. Not only literally there was there seven churches in Asia Minor of that day, but prophetically, there's the seven churches that are, the revelation of that is right across the world today that is seen. 
And he begins to deal walking in the midst of that. I tell you something. We see that temple, Christ saying, not one stone will be left on top of another, Matthew chapter 24. They carried on for another 40 years just doing what they've always done, not thinking, not believing that what he said would come to pass. AD 70, if you ever want to read about it, you read about that Roman Empire coming in, every word that Jesus spoke was fulfilled to the very T. I tell you, friends, we must take this word of God seriously. He begins to deal with seven churches. The first one that we'll look at, it's amazing. And the order is, is so powerful too. Is the church that had many great works. But you know what he said? He said, you've left your first love. That's what it was all about. They had left. Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine doing all the activities of church? This was just like those in the temple. It hadn't changed. He said, I know your works. I know everything that you do. But I, you imagine, you know, these words just came through like a dagger in straight into my heart when he simply said these words to Ephesus. He simply said, I know your works. But then he said, I have something against you. Imagine that, the Lord saying that to his church. You have left that first love. You've left me. Yes, you do all the activities. Yes, you do great things. But you have left that first love. Friends, tonight, oh God, put a fire in our bones, put a love in our hearts. Give us his love. Fill our lamps with oil. Deal with the things that would hinder. How many, we are looking at it this morning, how many really want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? You know, the sad thing is, is there even a desire for some to be filled with God? Is there even a desire to be filled with the oil of the Holy Ghost? Is there a desire for God to come and fill your life to overflowing? See, if there's not, friends, you know what needs to happen? Just like that priest went into that candlestick, you need to start cutting some things away. The flesh would hinder us, would hold us back. That carnality, that fleshly mind, cut it all away. Put the match to that wick. Allow the oil to begin to burn. And we'll burn for Jesus the brighter in these last days. Lord, give us oil in our lamps. But keep us burning to the break of day. We need the oil, don't we? Let's pray together tonight. Praise the Lord.